Hey, Nick Nanton here from DNA Films and the Celebrity Branding Agency. If you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue, and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you need to be listening to Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hi, I'm Stacey O'Byrne, and I get to hang out with successful entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals, and some of the top business influencers and thought leaders in the world. You see, I believe that it's important to learn the art and science of how to sell without selling, and that is the only way to achieve six and seven figure success. So if you want to be a success magnet, attract quality people in your network and significantly increase your sales and ultimately your success, then you're in the right place because this is the Sell Without Selling podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Nick Nanton. An Emmy award-winning director and producer, Nick Nanton Esquire produces media and branded content for top thought leaders and media personalities around the world. Recognized as a leading expert on branding and storytelling, Nick has authored more than two dozen best-selling books, including the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Story Selling, and produced and directed more than 60 documentaries, earning 16 Emmy Awards and 36 nominations. Nick speaks to audiences internationally on the topics of branding, entertainment, media, business, and storytelling at major universities and events. His keynote topics are entrepreneurship, innovation storytelling for brand growth, brand building, success secrets from the masters, and Nick Austin's awards, 15 Emmy Awards, Impact 100, three gold records, 40 under 40, and best of the bar. Nick also has handled my public relations for a little over a couple years. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm so excited for you to hear today's conversation with Nick. This is going to be a phenomenal conversation. I'm excited for you to get to know him and hear everything he has to say. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or you're just stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach, inserting yourself into a group coaching environment to help identify your blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited to see where we're going to go today. I know you and me both. I got to tell you, 
I have loved working with you. I've loved getting to know you. I loved all the conversations we've had in the bars. And I'm really, really excited about our listeners to get to hear you because, you know, this entire show is about playing big. This entire show is about creating the success that you've always desired, dreamed of, and deserved. And so few hit that level. And you're not afraid to play big. So I'd really like for them to get to know you. So how did you go from being a lawyer into branding? I'll give you the, the short version of a long story. I've been a musician since I was a kid, songwriter, produce records. That's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be the president of a record label. We're immigrants. My brother and I were born, my family is from the islands. We were born in Barbados. My family's been there for 300 years. And my dad's from even a smaller island called St. Vincent. And so we moved to America when I was one and my brother was three, right around then. And yeah, you know, my parents said, you know, hey, you can do anything you want in life, but get a profession. And so we both said, not in the cards for us. My brother was an actor and a playwright in high school. And, and so, but then he, he went off and became a child forensic psychiatrist. And so, uh, you know, he's boarded in three different specialties. And I was like, well, I'm not going to make that ain't going to happen for me. And so uh, I figured I could get into law school. I actually had a plan from, I would say I had focused on it. I thought about it from high schoolish. Hey, if I could get a law degree, this, a lot of CEOs of major businesses have law degrees. And so maybe I could do this. So I actually, I did undergrad um, I, in about two and a half years. So I had a bunch of credits going in from high school and stuff. And I just I hated school. I just didn't like school because I, I could get through it. I could do pretty well at it, but it just, I'm a much more of a hands-on person. I was building businesses from the time I was in high school. I had a t-shirt printing business my freshman year of college. I made 70 grand a year, my freshman year doing fraternity and sorority t-shirts. So I just... I like the engagement of providing value to people and getting paid in return for it. So mm -hmm. school, just, you know, the reading, the writing, it just wasn't really for me. I felt like it was necessary. And I also thought that, you know, again, a law degree could help me get a leg up. And by the way, so I, I went to law school and never practiced, never planned on practicing a day in my life. I've done a little <laughs> bit here and there, but I really, I haven't practiced law really, never really full time, which has been great. Thank God, because I'm not really designed for that. But I will say <laughs> one of the things I really did learn about that experience is it was probably even more valuable to me than it would be to a lawyer, which sounds funny because mm -hmm. in every room I'm in, I'm typically the only lawyer. And so in a law firm, I would just be another lawyer. But when I'm in, you know, from the time I was even very young, I'd be at a marketing conference. I'd be, a, I'd be in a business meeting. People are like, oh, ask Nick. He's a lawyer. And like, I remember one time I was in a meeting and there's a guy who, who had 30 years of experience. I had just gotten out of law school and passed the bar. I was like 25. This guy's like 55 probably. The CEO of the company goes, oh, um, have Nick review that because he, you know, he's a lawyer. And like, this guy's got 30 years of experience. He's going to know much better, honestly, what's normal about this or what's not. I can read it. But so, but I got a lot of credibility and respect that I probably didn't deserve because I went to law school. And then I've used it in my career, of course. When I was in law school and undergrad, I was writing music, producing music. I reconnected with my now business partner, a friend of mine dated his daughter. They ended up getting married, but I reconnected with him. I had met him when I was in high school. My cousin dated his daughter in high school, and um, she's a very nice girl. She wasn't like that, but just my, my relationships to her were through my cousin and my friend who both ended up dating her. And uh, I said, hey, um, I'm trying to start this music thing, and I convinced him to get into a music venture with me because he was 30 years older than me. He also had a law degree, didn't practice law, and was very successful, uh, and we had a lot of the same things in common. So I convinced him to get in the music business with me. And quite frankly, after a couple of years, he saw what my skill sets were. And he said, man, I see you really struggling over there in music, but you're doing great work. He said, if you would just take the things you're doing for musicians, you're building brands for bands, really. So if you just shifted that, 
and with what a little bit of what he knew into doing the same things for business people, creating the media, creating the positioning, doing all that stuff. He's like, man, yeah, I think you'd be a lot happier because, you know, when you're managing bands, it's like having 87 children. Like if you have six people in a band, it's like having six more kids. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. And, mm-hmm. and the revenue in the music business is just, I mean, the, Napster just happened when I was in law school and it's where the music business is still, it's doing way better, but still reeling from that, if you will, in a lot of ways from royalties and stuff. And so that was just a really tough business. And he convinced me to bring it over to the business world. And so it's so funny. Hindsight is an amazing thing. I don't think I've even ever said it this way, but when I'm connecting the dots, I've really always been fascinated by storytelling. I mean, from being a songwriter, that's like, ooh, someone wrote that. Could I write that? Like, how can I make someone experience an emotion that is either real or fake, but in in a matter of two and a half, three minutes? Like, that's, I was mesmerized by that. And mm-hmm. so if I tie, look back to everything I've done now, um, it's just really because I've been fascinated by stories. And the way I explain branding is a brand is nothing more than a story. Branding is nothing more than storytelling. And a great brand is a story that other people want to share for you. And so that's how I got into branding. I, I sort of, a uh, hey, you, that's not working, but but it's not you. It's the industry. Try this. And so, you know, so we did that. And so, yeah, now we've, my business partner, I've been in business for 18 years together. We've been in this business for 14 and now we've helped more than 3,000 clients in 60 countries on the, on the brand storytelling side of the business. That's phenomenal. So you've been an entrepreneur just about your whole life, haven't you? I have. And mostly it was because when we moved to America, my dad opened up a furniture store Mm -hmm. and my uncles opened up a electronic store and they were right next to each other. And so they were entrepreneurial. Then they started, they got the opportunity to start the first, I live in central Florida. They started the first Suzuki dealership with the Suzuki Jeeps. And so on paper, they're worth a lot of money until the consumer reports came out with that report, which I still think is sort of bogus, but whatever, it sort of ruined that industry. And essentially about the time I was like eight, nine, 10, we went from, I know my parents sacrificed a ton to bring us here, but my grandparents came up, my uncles, I, we were rich in family. There's a time when a few years where the business was doing really well. But like my parents built their dream home, it was 2,400 square feet, right? And so like with a tennis court next to it, because my dad used to have to walk uphill both ways, you know, the whole, the whole story. Uh, tennis court. But like there's snow in Florida, right? Yeah, well, yeah, in the <laughs> islands, right? Yeah, exactly. And so they built, that was their dream. So they weren't like, so it wasn't opulence at all, but we had everything we needed. And then mm-hmm. it went instantly to like, I mean, I was young to understand, but my parents were open with me to the level of, of being healthy. And I, I don't know that we ever had a conversation exactly like this, but essentially... I had more love than I could spend, but they were sort of like, hey, Nick, we think you can do or be anything you want to in in the world. We just can't do it for you. We just can't give it to you. So my parents really encouraged me. So I started, I was playing tennis and we had a tennis court. So I started teaching tennis lessons. So I started like at 12, 13 years old at the time when I really wanted money to start like getting some of those cool jackets and clothes and shoes and things that, (laughs) you know, my parents just couldn't afford. Mm -hmm. And so I figured out pretty quickly that, man, if I could get five neighborhood kids to come for an hour for five bucks each, I can make 25 bucks. I started learning pretty quickly that you can exchange a value you have for money. So that really was never hard. I would have to say that so much of it just, we all take a lot of things for granted. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it feels like natural ability, but I'm very certain that some of it was, but I'm sure I learned a lot of that from watching my parents too, right? So whether it was in their business or outside their business, I mean, my parents are still the kind of people that find an old lady working at a grocery store and learn her story and take her food on the weekends or like they're always serving. Right. And so, so I think I've learned that if you serve people, you can get other things in return. You can choose to do it for a profit. You can choose to do it for a good feeling. 
You can choose to do it to help whatever you want. But, but I had a really good example set for me in my life of serving other people well and loving other people well. And then the business side of it was pretty natural because I realized, oh, if I have a skill set or I can do something, there's people who want that and will pay for it. That's phenomenal. So in case you guys haven't heard, Nick is a very hardcore, type A, excited, passionate business owner and entrepreneur. And there's so much I know about him because as I had said, my my history with Nick goes back a couple of years. And, and I've actually gotten to know Nick and researched him even before then, before we ever met. And Nick, you play big. You play a really big game. Our listeners don't know who you are yet. And most people, when they start out and they create a business, they really create a job. They start out small. How did you create this empire that that you have and the relationships that you have? Fascinating question. I think as I talk, so I know I've ever answered this question. So we'll, we'll both learn as I think it through. One of the things that I think is really important is to realize, and certainly I guess we get perspective as we age a little bit, you know, there's many things in life that wouldn't be a good fit for other people. So like, for instance, I've been doing a lot of work with a a financial advisor and he really advocates not paying off your house because of the equity grows, whether it's in the house or not, whether you have money in the house or not. And there's a lot of valid ideas expressed in that. And I actually tend to agree with it. But secondarily, there are a lot of people who will never be comfortable owing money on their house. Like they'll be in a personal prison, even if it was a better financial. So there's like a lot of things that just are personal fit, right? One thing that I would say is a lot of people do create a job for themselves. But if if what you're after is something to fill your time, nine to five or nine to six or nine to nine, and a way to express yourself and maybe a a certain level of income is what, like, I want to make sure that some people know that's okay. If that's your goal, that is totally okay. What I have been after is I'm a dreamer. So the games I have to play to accomplish dreams are by nature bigger. So I would say that I've played the games I've needed to play to try to accomplish the goals that I have. And so that's what's led me there. Because I think if I was just doing it for money, I mean, I make I make a lot of decisions that do not make immediate financial sense. Like mm-hmm. I'll say all the time to my team, like, hey, let's do this or let's spend this and do this because I think it's going to lead here. I don't know. I mean, so for instance, just a, I won't tell the whole story, but Larry King is currently the executive producer of my series on Amazon Prime. How did I meet Larry King? I thought I would like to meet Larry King and that maybe something could come of it, but I had no idea. But I bought, I spent a lot of money on a charity to buy a breakfast with Larry King. And so looking at it up front, people are like, like my team were, I mean, what accounting, what are like, what is this expense for? I'm like, well, I'm, you paid that much money to meet with Larry King. I'm like, well, it's for charity, number one. And number two, I think something could come out of it. I didn't have any idea to agree to executive produce my show and all that, but I just said, you know what? It makes sense to me. Get to meet mm-hmm. an icon, I'll have a great story and I'm going to donate to charity and maybe something will come out of it. So I oftentimes will make decisions. Like in that case, I had a vision or a dream that, man, wouldn't it be cool to do something with Larry King that didn't make sense to anyone else because the dream wasn't theirs. And so one thing I tell people all the time is a lot of other people won't understand your dream because it wasn't given to them. And you can't be mad at them for that. You need to learn who to share your dreams with and who not to share your dreams with because it doesn't mean you can love your family and they may not understand your entrepreneurial drive or your dreams. And that's okay. Um, It's not for everybody, but it's up to you to realize who's safe to share those with and who's not. If you share them with someone and their response pretty quickly isn't, well, how can I help? then it's probably not someone you should be sharing your dreams with. I mean, my wife and I talk about everything. She doesn't particularly know in a lot of cases 
how to help me, you know, do another show with Larry King. But she does certainly help me in all aspects of my life. And I tell her, like, she is my bedrock of whenever, every time I do fail, I'm willing to take risks because I know that I'm only going to fall. I'm going to just fall into her arms, which is like a great place to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's like my perspective there. But in business and life, you know, people aren't, if they're talking you down or talking you out of it and it's your, your true dream and it's a healthy dream, we'll put it that way. You know, you should probably find some other people to engage with it about. I'll also tell you one thing that is so simple that it's easy to gloss over. I had a mentor one time who said, you know, Nick, the problem with things that are simple, you know, profound things are often simple, but everything easy to do is equally easy not to do. And when you hear something simple you should be doing, you say, oh, I knew that, but you don't do it. Right. So Jack Canfield, when I was making the documentary on Jack, those of you who don't know, Jack wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, sold over 500 million books. An amazing, amazing man. Very good friend. And so he said, you know, it's a very simple concept, but you know, I believe Walt Disney says, if you can dream it, you can do it. And he started going down this path and I started realizing to the level of like sickness in my stomach sometimes, if you're listening to this right now and that you've had a dream that you've been pushing off, pushing off, pushing off and pushing off, it might make you sick to your stomach to hear me say this, but that dream was given to you for a reason. Now, it doesn't mean you have to accomplish it. And where most people make a big mistake is they think I need to go accomplish that by myself. That's the big mistake. You need to build the team that can help you accomplish that goal. You might need to learn new skill sets. You're probably going to need to meet different types of people, surround yourself with different people. But that dream is for you. That's why you had it. And you are able to push that forward and accomplish it. You're going to have to put together the team, the resources, the skills to do it. But you wouldn't have that dream if it wasn't a dream that was meant for you. That's phenomenal. Yeah, we're incapable of seeing anything that doesn't exist within us. And when it exists within us, it's our responsibility to evoke it and step into its greatness. I don't know if you guys heard so many golden nuggets he just piled in three minutes. And Nick, I got to tell you, the reason why I said so many people create a job for themselves, zero disrespect. It's about the simple fact that they enter into being a solopreneur because they can't see how to create that vision. Yeah, it does. I mean, you talked about investing in your dream. You made a big leap to connect with Larry King. So that requires belief in self, trust in self. That requires stepping into your dream. You talked about having a bedrock, your wife falling into her arms when you fail. It's important for us to surround ourselves with people who believe in us versus people who hold us back and the Debbie Downers, right? The Debbie Doubters. You talked about you wouldn't be able to achieve it if you couldn't dream it, right? And if you couldn't dream it, then you're definitely able to achieve it. So I hope you guys extracted all of those golden nuggets. And I really invite you to go back and listen to it again and take some notes because there was a lot there. Now, you brought up something, failure, the F word, right? It's funny because it's like the F bomb of entrepreneurism. So failure, how has failure really helped you? Failure is really only failure when you die or stop. You know, everything else is just learning experience. I mean, I learned that, you know, when I wanted to be a songwriter, record producer, it wasn't my time. Funny enough, I had to take breaks from it for a long period of time, but I've been back in it the last few years professionally. I now have a publishing deal in Nashville. I write a lot of country and pop. You know, I just recently got my first major artist to cut one of my songs. I've got some other stuff. And, And so now it's sort of my time, but I now understand it now makes more sense to me Whereas it was just magic before, I didn't really, I had a dream and a wish 
to write a song that would be accomplished by, you know, cut by an artist or I had a dream and a wish to do something. I've also noticed that when you truly achieve in life, it's often, it becomes inevitable. Not many of the things I've accomplished in the last 20 years were a surprise to me. They were things I, I methodically tackled. I, you know, I, I ate the elephant one bite at a time. So eventually you're going to finish, right? And yeah. so a lot of it has to do with luck. A lot of it has to do with, with health and with, you know, meeting the right people. But it also has to do with, most of it has to do with mindset and being open to the opportunities that are presenting themselves to you every day and being able to look at them and see them. And so I would just say that, yeah, failure is just is just whatever you want to believe in. But, you know, the world, God, however you say it, you know, sharing with you that, you know, maybe this isn't your time. My mentor, Nito Cobain, says there's no unrealistic goals, just unrealistic timelines. And yeah. so it oftentimes it's learning. It's saying, oh, that doesn't work. OK, well, let me let me try. Um, Jay Abraham, who I'm sure you're familiar with as well. You know, Jay told me one time, he's like, you know, I talk to entrepreneurs all the time and things aren't going their way. And I say, well, tell me more. And they'd be like, I've tried everything. He's like, okay, walk me through what's everything. They list up like three or four things. Yeah. And it's like, not everything. Like that's, you figured out four things that didn't work. Like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> Jack Canfield, where he talked about, it, he got turned down by 144 different publishers. 144. How many people do you know, really? Like, even me, I call myself this all the time. Like, I'd have stopped at six or seven, I'm sure. Maybe a dozen. <laughs> I mean, or I think I would have. Like, but it, that, that mission to publish that book and share that message was so important to him that the 144 didn't matter. And I think that right. that's really the thing. I have, I know, I mean, you do a lot of public speaking. A lot of people are afraid of it. I have people come to me all the time, like, they want to get a message out, but they're at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they're a little afraid, right? They're afraid of, I'm not a great public speaker. I'm not a, I'm not a great writer. I'm not, a, I'm not a whatever. And mm -hmm. I always just tell them, Hey, look, this is a very simple answer to this. When the message is more important than your ego, you'll start doing it. Yeah. This is the way it is. And so in this case, the reason why Jack Canfield was able to wake up in the mirror and keep going after 143 no's is because there's nothing else he could do. This was so important to him that he just had to keep going until someone said yes or he realized, oh, this isn't the way I should go. It should go this way. I think it's very important that you look at failure the right way. I was interviewing Daniel Negreanu, six-time world champion, uh, world series champion. Yeah. And yep. so I said, Daniel, he dropped out of high school to go play professional poker. Yep. Brother, and like had to try to convince his parents this was like a career, right? Which, I mean, what a sales job, right? And so <laughs> I, I said, Daniel, what do you think is the number one skill that makes someone a good poker player? And he said, self-awareness. I said, don't you think that's the number one skill to be good at anything? He's like, yeah, I think you're right. And so in a lot of cases, when I'm talking through this and we're talking about failure and moving forward, a lot of this has to do with self-awareness. I mean, you do have to admit to yourself, like, I'm not going to be a model or an actor. Like, I'm, like, I have to realize, you know, the marketplace is not looking for my what I was given in that world. I'm not going to be a professional NBA player. I just don't have the damn height. I don't have, I, I can't shoot the basketball that well. But so like you have to be realistic about things. doesn't mean I can't play all the ball I want on the weekend or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a terrible basketball player. I'm good at other sports, thankfully. I'm terrible at basketball. I actually, like in elementary school, they didn't even send me the form to sign up for the next season. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and so, so you have to have some level of realization. You do also, by the way, need to have people you trust that you are in dialogue with and brainstorming, masterminding. It is healthy sometimes for people to help you realize maybe that's not what you're supposed to be doing. So this is a really hard nail to split or like a hair to split when you're talking, when I'm saying, be careful who you let in your life, never give up on your dream, but realize there's some things that aren't meant for you. And I think that the tension in all of that, that crucible that that creates is where you can find amazing success. If you're willing to go on that journey and experience those tensions, 
I think a lot of people just give up because it's frustrating. I mean, being in business is a puzzle every day. Like you're never going to wake up and go, all the pieces fit. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was. It's probably a pretty new realization for me. Like I thought just at some point you reach a level of success that everything's okay. But it's not. I've met people who have $100 million in the bank. It's a metaphor. They didn't say, but I bet if they if they had $90 million in the bank, they'd freak out because they had $10 million less than they needed, than they thought they needed. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's mindset and it's being willing to push through. And to me, I think what life's really about is growing. So failures are learning experiences that allow you to grow and figure out, maybe I'm not so good at that, or maybe I shouldn't do that, or maybe I wasn't supposed to buy that house. Or I mean, you only get there by mindset. Yeah. As far as failure goes, the F-bomb of entrepreneurism, as far as that goes, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. It is only feedback as to what didn't work. And to be able to have the self-awareness to call BS, BS, because when you throw out those universal quantifiers that I've done everything, you haven't. When you've done it yourself, list it. When you list them and see, oh, you've called two people. Oh, you posted one thing on social media. That's not everything. That's three things. So I love that that you pointed that out. And before we really get really deep into success, I want our listeners to really understand who you are. So for you guys to understand what Nick is and who Nick is and what Nick is to me and who Nick is to me, Nick helped me get into the best-selling book written by Jay Abrams. He also helped me become a best-selling author with Jack Canfield. He's also gotten me on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, USA Today. So Nick, when I say Nick plays a big game, he plays a really big game. Can you share with our listeners how you help business owners and entrepreneurs? Yeah. And so I've done all this stuff for years. And I would say that now what I would, how I would distill it down and we can talk as granular as you want. But the idea is you know, branding, like I said, is just storytelling. And the best story always wins. I mean, that's, that's the truth. And so what I have found is media is just a medium for sharing your story. And so if you aren't sharing your story effectively, then no one's ever going to know the difference between you and your competitors. So I, I say it like a very easy example is like if you needed brain surgery, how do you know the difference between two brain surgeons? You you don't. You typically only get one recommendation. You don't, I mean, you wouldn't know nothing. And so if I can't tell the difference between two brain surgeons, I mean, I also have a very hard time telling the difference between 27 different financial advisors or what. I mean, we don't know what other people know. And by nature, we've lived our own life experiences and we've learned our own knowledge through our own hard knocks, our own education, everything else. And so we sort of think that everyone else knows what we know because we've lived it, but they haven't. And so our job is to help the world understand how uniquely we are suited to help our ideal client and prospect. And the only way you can do that is through telling your story effectively. And so Mm -hmm. I help people like you and I did for myself first. I wanted a seat at the table. I wanted to be able to have impactful conversations with, with leaders and the Jack Canfields of the world and stuff. But I I had to earn my way there. I had to have a good enough story that they'd be willing to talk with me, right? That's what I help clients do through media. I've been really focused through the pandemic, particularly on real-time storytelling. So helping our clients with podcasts and live streams and blogs. And we, we have a whole network. We started the Success Network where we, you know, we edit them, we publish them, we do all that. And we help them, we write their blogs for them, we do all these things. But really, it is all about sharing your unique experience and stories so that the people who you are a great fit for working with, they know it instantly. I mean, so many times we run away from our past, from some of our failures. The only reason you you and I are both in these two seats right now is because of the experiences we've had. They've led us literally to this moment. And so that's what makes us unique. And so few people share that. They think that 
their degree makes you unique. Well, like for me as a lawyer, if I wanted to practice law, I mean, the marketing message on the way into law school and from the world is, oh, if you want to practice law, what you need to do is you need to pass the bar. Once you pass the bar, you can practice law. You'll be in. You'll be. But you find out very quickly is that that's the lowest bar to entry into the game. Like you literally, once you get the license, well, now you're allowed, but doesn't do anything from going from here to here that you now just got in the door. Now, how do you differentiate? How do you share? How do you get clients? How do you run a business? Oh, gosh, they didn't tell me about that when they wanted my money for law school. Right. And it's, it's not what they do. But the example is just that that's just where you start. And so your story and your experiences are really what make you who you are and allow you to truly help those who align with you that need your help that you can best help. And I actually love that a few minutes ago you brought up basketball because I have a funny story for you. You know, I had built this multi-million dollar printing company. My business partner and I had a huge falling out. He embezzled it. You name it. It was a nightmare, right? So I started my company and everybody kept coming up to me going, how did you do multi-million in an industry you knew nothing about? How did you make five and six figures in indirect sales every month and not know direct sales? And it made me realize, you know, I've been studying human behavior, neuroscience and neurolinguistics programming forever. Like at that point, it was over 20 years and people kept coming up to me going, how do you do it? How do you do it? That question really made me step back and answer it. And through it, it made me understand how people show up. And it doesn't matter what you do, where you go, you follow. And everywhere you are, there you're at, right? So when I was starting this training company, I wanted to train sales and leadership and communication, everything about behavior. And I was making money hand over fist. And everybody that was buying product from me was failing. And I couldn't understand why. And it made me realize they're taking their programs with them, where they go, they're at. So we have to do the inner work before the outer work ever work. Well, I still hadn't had a name for my company yet. I was just, I was a solopreneur. And then it made me realize entrepreneurism and basketball are the same thing. An entrepreneur needs a stable foundation that they can pivot on until they can find a point to where they can get their advantage. So my company became Pivot Point Advantage. So I knew this 11 plus years ago. Everybody today is like pivot, 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 because as you brought up the pandemic, right? So I've got like a two-part question for you. What's the best advice you can give someone today that's either starting out or pivoting because what used to work isn't working? I would say the easiest thing is, is find an audience you want to serve and figure out how you can best serve them. And everything else by, you know, by following that path will become obvious. I mean, you'll see what they need. You saw what they needed. You saw a very distinct need that if you have that need, they will pay you for it. But I hate the idea of entitlement. But when I think about it, whenever my sales numbers go down or like, I feel like I deserve them. And so I'm entitled in a way too. So because I just think that, oh, I've worked hard enough. I should just make that many sales or we should just grow the business. We should. The revenue should be that much. You can hear it's a pandemic in my house. The dogs are barking. Uh, but um, but yeah, I would just say find out how you can serve, how you can serve. And so once you figure out how you can serve those people, then you'll figure out what you should be doing next. That's fantastic advice. So why do you think, I mean, the statistics are really against people. Like I think the, the, the latest was 97% don't make it. Why do you think they don't? And you've answered part of that already. It depends on what do you really want? What's your desire in return? And what are you willing to give? I mean, there's been many times where we've not not quite made it. You know, we've gotten three quarters of the way across the lake. Time wasn't right. We ran out of money, ran out of gas, had to go back to doing something we were doing before. But ultimately, if that's your true mission, you'll get back into it. You'll go again. And so mm -hmm. I think what 
what makes people succeed or not. I mean, obviously there can be capital constructs and other things that can cause you to fail. But again, it's usually just a redirecting. And I think it really is, does your mission really align with what you're trying to do? And are you willing to do anything, hopefully ethically, you know, legally, all that stuff? What are you willing to do to achieve that mission? Is it truly your life's mission? If it's not, you're probably going to quit because this this stuff's hard. It sucks sometimes. It sucks a lot of times. Yeah. If it was easy to do this, everybody would do it. Being an entrepreneur, what's that meme that floats around? We're the only people that will work 80 hours to avoid a 40-hour right? Yeah, right. Yes. You know, Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, says, you know, really entrepreneurs, they seek four freedoms. Freedom of time, freedom of relationships, freedom of money. And there's one I always forget. But it's like, we really, when I look at it, freedom. That's really what I'm after. And so I'm willing to give away a lot of other things. A lot of times my money and my time, just so no one else has control of me. But those four freedoms are really where it becomes healthy. And I'll try to see if I can find the fourth one so I don't leave you hanging. Okay, cool. So while you're looking for that fourth one, when I met you, the one thing that was very, very clear to me is you are a networker, you are a connector, you are someone that really gets in and really values relationships and builds them adds value to them, and then also record value back from them. Is that an accurate summation? Yeah. So entrepreneur, my nature, provides value before they ask for anything in return. And so many of you do that. I mean, you, you're going out and you're not getting a salary for doing it. You're having to convince somebody, I can give you this value. And then if I do, you're going to give me money back mm-hmm. and, or, or give me value in exchange. And so, yeah, so I always have approached relationships as if Nobody owes me anything because they don't. And so, and even if they do, they're going to forget. So you might as well start from the fact that they don't owe you anything. So yeah, I was like, how can I serve this person? What can I do to be interesting to this person? What can I do to, to connect them? So interesting story. We'll go back to basketball. So I'm doing a documentary. We haven't fully announced it, but on Dick Vitale, the basketball announcer, you know, Dickie V, legendary guy, been in basketball announcing for 40 years. Amazing story. A couple months ago, we were starting, you know, sort of the storytelling part of his, the journey and sort of the, like he was doing like a data dump to us. We're writing things and he's like, but Nick, I got to talk to you. I need, I need your help. I'm like, what's that? He's like, well, he's been raising money for the V Foundation for children's cancer specifically for Jim Valvano, you know, the foundation, I believe is named after him who passed away. People get confused because of Dickie V and the V Foundation. It's not his foundation, but he's the last 12 or 13 years he hosted galas. He's raised millions and millions and millions of dollars for child cancer research. And he said, you know, I was supposed to have my gala this year pandemic, you know, I pushed it. And actually the day we're recording, it's tonight. The gala, his actual gala is tonight, but it had to go virtual. He said, but you know, last year I raised $4 million. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do it again because things are different right now. And so he said, um, so I got a guy, this guy owns this really successful business. And he says, Hey, I, I love what you're doing, Dick. And my business has been fine. So I will give you $2 million in matching funds, but you got to go get the other 2 million. He said, so maybe you find 10 guys to give you 200,000. Maybe you find you know, four guys to give you 500, maybe find eight people to give you 250, whatever it is. He said, so, so Nick, I got to raise the money for the kids. And he starts telling us, I went, met, went and met this kid six months ago and he just passed away. His mom called me, he breaks my heart. Like he, he's in it, man. I mean, he really cares. And he's a great guy. He's 81 years old and he's working, you know, he's a basketball announcer and raising money like hotcakes. He yeah. really does the work of two people in this field. And so he said, you know, so I need someone, I need someone with wealth and maybe who cares about basketball. And I was like, well, have you asked Mark Cuban? He's like, I don't know him. He's like, I know of him. We follow each other on Twitter. I said, I know Mark. I mean, I don't know Mark well. I've done a few, I filmed with him a few times. He's always been gracious to me. Doesn't answer all my emails, but he answers some of them. And so why don't I introduce you to Mark and see what happens? He said, sounds great. What do you want me to do? I said, well, you're super compelling. You're going to make the pitch better than me. So why don't you just 
send you, you know, because you sent me plenty of videos you made on a cell phone, always begging me for money for childhood cancer research, which is great. So I'm like, just send me a message that you know I'm going to forward to Mark, but it's got his unique ability as being exciting on video. That's what he does, get paid for a living. And so I get the video, I send an email, I say, uh, hey, Mark Cuban, I know you know, you and Dick Vitale know of each other. Now you know each other. Dickie V has a video message for you below. Hope you take a chance to check it out and hope you're doing well. That's all I think. And so about three hours later, response to me with Dick CC, he said, uh, Mark Cuban says, DV, you don't mess around. Put me down for 500K. And I was like, that's awesome. So I called Dick and he's like, I was like, do you see the email? I was like, what email? I'm like, Mark Cuban just gave you a half a million dollars for childhood cancer. He's like, are you kidding me, baby? Like he's freaking out. He's doing what he would do. <laughs> but it was literally just like, hey, how could I help? Like, I don't know. I may have never gotten a response in the world. And is it a bit of a risk of emailing Mark again? And he might think I'm annoying and never read anything again. But it seemed like seemed like there's some value here. Like he knows who he is for sure. They know of each other for sure. And Dick is asking for money for a really great cause. And they're both basketball guys. And so what could have hurt? And so worst thing that happens is I don't get an email back. But what's the best thing that could happen? Well, it did. And so I helped a million dollars go towards childhood cancer research with one email. And so it's but it's all just thinking about like I, I thought that through when I made that introduction. It was, hey, you guys, this might work. And people don't ever usually say it this way, but often comes across like, I'm entitled to your help. You really should help me. You're so successful and I'm just getting started. I'm a really good person. So you really, you should really stop everything you're doing and you should help me. And it's just people and those, we've all gotten those emails or those texts and it's like, well, I can't fix you. You're not going to get it anyway. I mean, anyone who comes to me and legitimately asks for help and is kind, I will help them do anything to the best of my ability. But, you know, you have those people who just don't get it. You know, if you don't get it, I'm not going to spend my waste my time trying to help help you get it if I can see that you aren't going to get it. So uh, and before I forget, all right, freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationships and freedom of purpose. So time, money, relationships and purpose. If you Google Dan Sullivan, the four freedoms, you will find it. That is what we are after as entrepreneurs. If you really go through it, those are the things we're after. It's those freedoms. That's phenomenal. So you and I had a drink over this question when we talked about it. I think we were in Dallas together. What do you think is more important, mindset or skill set and why? And I loved your answer, which is why I asked it. It's mindset all day long. You can learn skills or more importantly, again, I'll quote Dan Sullivan because he's one of the most influential people in my life. He's got a new book coming out called Who Not How. And it's all about you don't need to know how to do something. You need to know who knows how to do that thing. There's a lot of skill sets you don't actually need. You just need to know who can do them. And so... That's the hard part of all this is figuring out that, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do everything myself. But then then it often takes resources, but those resources can be given in many ways. There's there's many ways I can give you value other than money. Most people think that other people want money. What other people really want is the result of what the money can get them. So you can oftentimes just shortcut the money right out of the situation, but it really is to me about building teams. That's phenomenal. I'm kind of curious as to this next question, and it's because for me, I'm very, very passionate about one of the answers. What's the difference between selling and closing? You don't have to close if you've had the right conversation with the right person. It's really just saying, hey, ideally, they're qualified to begin with. There's somebody who you think you could help. And all you're doing is sharing what you think they need. And if you have enough trust with them, they will go, that is what I need. And if there's enough value in it, then they'll just say, it just makes sense. And so I know that's sort of how I approach it. If I can give you the right value, I don't have to close you because I've thought through or you've expressed to me what you need and I and I have a solution. 
And, you know, Dan Kennedy would say, who wouldn't want to buy money at a discount? So if right. I'm explaining it the right way, you're basically just buying money at a discount. And so it's an obvious decision. So I don't feel like I often have to close. Now, I will say that sometimes you do have to help people take action. Some people will stay in analysis paralysis their whole life and you need to help them get off that fence. Um, but there's a lot of people who, of course, used predatory skills to do all sorts of crazy yeah. things, get people to do things they shouldn't be doing. That's how I think about it. Maybe I don't know if I answered your question or not. But No, no, I love it. You know, for me, you wrote the book Story Selling, right? And for me, when you have a product, service, and solution, and you have a story that lands in that need, want, and desires model of the world, and their map of reality, that person moves themselves through their decision-making process into your service or solution because they connected with you. You know, the old adage, ABC, always be closing, yes, always be selling. Reality is our prospective clients have gotten very smart. Google, instant gratification, all of that, they've tire shopped, they've tire kicked for they're ever talking to you. It's about you showing up congruent, authentic, and transparent and making sure that your product, service, and solution is the best fit for their need, want, and desire. And it all comes down to the story selling. It really does. Yeah, and it, and it comes down to, are they a good fit? You know, and can you really help them? And so there are so many things that have to happen before business makes sense. And obviously, with technology and automation, even now AI and all these things, the cool thing is that a lot of times those conversations are being had before you even have the conversation. Like you said, mm -hmm. most people... If they're allowing you to have a conversation with them, they're interested typically. And if you've done your job well enough of explaining who you are and sharing your knowledge online, like they're going to feel like they know you and they and that you could help them. They're going to want to have a conversation. And if you go as far as to reveal your pricing models and everything, then it's just they want to know if you're, you're real, if you'll pick up the phone and they're just trying to give you the money. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that, that, that you're a hustler, that grass cannot grow under your feet because you're never in one place long enough. So I'm curious with the connections that, that you've really gone out of your way to grow and develop over your career. Tell us about one time when a connection to someone led to a huge opportunity to, for you. Oh, man, there's been so many. I know. Um, <laughs> I went to Joe Polish's event, Genius Network, I don't know, 10 years ago now, it seems <laughs> like. It might have been seven or eight, but to go to the event is $10,000 if you're not a part of the network. And so not an insignificant amount of money to spend for a two-day event. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't look at it as just two-day events. So there's probably people in that room that would be interesting to meet. At the 10,000, I went. I won't go through the whole stories, but out of that room, I met Steve Forbes there. Mm -hmm. I met I met Dan Sullivan there. I met, of course, Joe Polish there, who I'd met him other places before. And I met Peter Diamandis there. So let's just, we'll go with those four. There's more than that. Mm -hmm. But I ended up doing a client, a mutual client of and friend of Joe's hired me to make a documentary about Joe. Mm -hmm. Joe and another friend hired me to make a documentary about Dan Sullivan. I ended up doing hosting a big event in New York City and co-authoring two books with Steve Forbes that led to over seven figures in revenue. And I bothered Peter Diamandis for two years to let me tell his story. And I made a documentary on Peter that won two Emmys. And that really launched me into the world of the thought leader world paying attention to me because now I, I oh, I made Peter's documentary. Oh, I'll talk to you now. And that's parlayed into when I did the deal with Larry King, I said, let, let me show you Peter's documentary. Watch Peter's. Hey, yes, I'd be interested in working with you. And so, I mean, so much came out of that one, that one meeting. And I had to invest, I had to invest in myself in order to show up that meeting. 
It was being willing to look around and say, hey, what opportunities exist here? And most importantly, like we've already talked about a bunch of times, it's what opportunities here make sense for both of us. Like it, it wasn't that, oh, hey, you should come do something that makes no sense to you because it will make me money or whatever. Like, but that's so often the way people approach it. They just don't, they don't have the self-awareness to think beyond themselves. They need to think about, well, what would be helpful to that person? And in so many cases, um, I interviewed Joe DeSena, the founder of Spartan Races, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he, he grew up in a neighborhood that was basically run by the mob. Like all the mob bosses lived in this neighborhood. And the guy across the street wanted him to clean his pool. And basically the mob boss said something like, if you're on time, you're late. You better do more than I've ever asked you to do. And don't ever ask for money. If you, The money will show up appropriately. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what he's taking into his life. And it's one of those things like, if you can realize that not everything is a tit for tat. It's uh, not everything's quid pro quo. It's about if you're really inspired by the person driven and want to do something with them, literally, I mean, forget about the money. If you can find a way to do that and just serve them and try to figure out where there's a win-win, it'll come. But so many times people walk into these, they say they want a relationship, but what they really want is dollars and cents. Typically doesn't work out that way, especially in that order, dollars and cents first. The dollars and cents come after the relationship comes. I mean, now I have people who... Now that I know them, like, oh, yeah, just call Nick. He'll, he'll do that for you. Hire him. Don't hire anybody else. Just because I have the relationship, the money's coming. But if I don't have that relationship, they're never going to know I even exist. And I never get the business. Right. So this is another time where, where Nick's really honed in on if you want success, if you really truly want more than what you've ever achieved, you have to invest in yourself. You have to treat this like a business. Because reality is if you treat it like a business, it's going to pay you back as a business. If you treat it like a hobby, it's going to cost you like a hobby, right? You keep bringing up mentorship. Why is mentorship and coaching so important to achieving success? Well, I mean, the easy analogy is there's, I mean, there's no world-class athlete that doesn't have a coach. I mean, look at it that way. And they probably have multiple. And Mm so if you can't admit there are certain things you're probably not as good at as other people, then I probably can't help you. But if you can acknowledge that point, then there's people who can help you in the areas. It's those who's not how's people who can help you see beyond yourself. I mean, you can't see outside the picture frame when you're inside of it, right? And yeah. so you can't read the label on the jar when you're in it. And so you need people with outside perspective to help you see beyond you know, the scope of what you can see, because we all have blind spots based on the brain can only process not that many things. I mean, it's a lot, but not, not nearly as many as we'd love them to be able to. So it's so, I mean, how often... Can you give someone else an easy solution? But they didn't think of it because they're in the thick of it. They're in the middle of it. Same thing. A coach's mentor is hugely important. They help me think through things in a way that I just wouldn't think through myself. I mean, the worst number in any business and probably in anything besides probably a spouse is one. Uh, the, the worst number <laughs> in business is one. Like if you have one person who does this thing, they get sick or God forbid hit by a bus or like yeah. you're screwed. You know, and yeah. so when you're by yourself and you're thinking about something, it turns into worry. When you think about something along with someone else, it becomes a discussion and problem solving. So mentors are just super helpful, especially if they have experiences that you don't have. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So welcome to the signature question of the show. And that is, what does selling without selling mean to you, Nick? Well, I mean, it's the subtitle of my book. So your story selling, selling without selling by, by telling your, your brand story. And so to me, you don't have to sell when you storytell correctly, when you share through that story, who you are, what you do, how you can help people and how you can solve their biggest problem. They say, I mean, you know this from experience. When you position yourself correctly and the story's told well enough for you, I mean, people just come in and say, I really hope I can afford to work with you. Would you hear me out for a few minutes and tell me how you can help me? And so that's selling without selling. I have clients all the time come to me and say, hey, Nick, here's my budget for the next year. How would you spend it? And I said, the only reason we get to have this conversation is because I built trust with you and because 
first of all, I've done everything I'm about to tell you you should do. But it's because I've shared with you openly that I didn't sell you. You came and told me, Nick, here's how much money I want to give you. How do I spend it? And so that's done by telling your story correctly. That's phenomenal. So welcome to the random realm. See, I have a belief, as most people do, that success leaves clues. And I like to ask a question so that our listeners can extract information from our guest and install into them what makes best sense for them. So I'm really curious, how do you decompress? How do you recharge? I mean, you go a million miles a minute. There's a few different ways. With my kids, you know, like I've got, my kids just walked in from school a second ago. I've got a 15-year-old, almost 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old, two boys and then a girl, and their activities, like I don't miss them. I mean, if I have to travel, I miss them rarely, but when I'm home, I take them to school. I often will pick them up uh, when things were normal. Uh, when I'm home, I do that. And then, you know, I don't miss weekends. I mean, I've been invited to so many major events on weekends that I have turned down with, with huge celebrities. I'm like, you know, I just, I really don't miss weekends with my family because they're, you know, they didn't ask to do this alone. And so that's one of the ways just by spending time with my family. I love to fish. Um, I've got a dock out back in my house. I'm blessed to have that. And so I, you know, I ha- night fish oftentimes and just hang out back there and just it just gets me thinking about something else. And I would say songwriting is another way that I really decompress. I just love the process of how creative that is. And there's lots of other little things in, in between. I love a good glass of wine. I love a good meal with friends, all those things. But I'd say fishing and songwriting and hanging out with my family probably the main ways. Nice. So one more random round question for you. And what's your favorite word and why? Man. That's one. I didn't see. That's like a freight train coming. I didn't see that one. <laughs> My favorite word is yes, because there's always a yes when you've done the right thing. When you've done your job correctly and you've put all the pieces together, you can't help but get a yes. Nice. I love that. Nick, it's been phenomenal talking to you today, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. If our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you or connect with you? Yeah, pretty much all the socials. If you can spell my name right, you can find me, Nick Nanton, or you can find me at nicknanton.com. That's all N's. There are no M's. So all N's as in Nick, Nick nicknanton.com, and you can just find me from there. Fantastic. Thank you. Hey, your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do three things right now. First, I'd love you to go over to Instagram and look us up at Pivot Point Advantage. Go over to Instagram, look us up at Pivot Point Advantage and follow us. Second, second, I would love for you to join our Sell Without Selling community on Facebook. Look and join our Sell Without Selling community. And last, I'd love to chat with you, get feedback on the episodes and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success that you've always dreamed of, desired, and you know you deserve. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. Always remember, choice is a powerful thing, and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can find have your way. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking to you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. 
That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.